Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, I want to say a major good morning to all of our church family here in Warren, of course. Uh, but if you're also hanging with us at Boardman or TCI or online, Man, we are just so glad to have you be a part of our church family. I'm telling you what, I'm very excited for this message I'm bringing today. I can't wait to jump into it. Before I do, I just want to mention one thing. Parents, just to let you know, I'm going to use a few phrases that have some adult context. And so if you don't feel like having any of those conversations right now, it's not going to be a health lesson. We have amazing health teachers at our church. It's not that. But I do just want to say we have some of the best kids' experiences on the planet in B Kids Area 46, and all the way from six weeks all the way up to fifth grade, and then sixth grade here at our Warren campus. So if you want a chance to avoid some of those awkward conversations, conversations, you're welcome to take your kids there. And I'm going to jump right in because I think this is so good. It's going to be amazing. Here we go. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. It says, in a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. And you know what this reminds me of is my grandma's house. You know, I think about this. We went to my grandma's house almost every week, and we were the type of kids. My mom did an amazing job. She fed us very healthy food. And today, I'm thankful for it. It set up some good habits in my life. But praise God for grandparents, because grandparents are the type of people, they stock their cabinets full of stuff they'll never eat for their grandkids. Anybody ever have grandparents like that? Anybody ever been a grandparent like that? I know my kids' grandparents are like that. And uh, I'm so thankful. We used to junk out. They'd have like all kinds of stuff there. I remember my older brother, there were many times where he vomited leaving on Sunday nights when we were going home because he just junked out so bad. And I think about their house and my grandma had this amazing china cabinet in her house. And it was this beautiful, ornate thing where there were these special dishes, I'm guessing from Ireland or from Great Britain, somewhere in there. And Interestingly enough, throughout my time with them week in and week out, I can only remember those coming out maybe once or twice a year, maybe Thanksgiving and Christmas. I'm guessing if they had guests over, that might be when they bring them out too. But I totally understand why this never saw the light of day when us 13 grandkids were there. Now that I have kids, I've just come to the realization we just won't have nice stuff for a while. You know, it's like, there's so many times you're just scrubbing things down. You're like, I'm gonna send this out to the lab to figure out what is this contraption that ended up stuck on my couch. I, I don't know. Um, but, you know, I've just realized we're not gonna have nice things. It, only bad things would have happened if my grandparents pulled those out consistently. Um, but there were those times where there's special occasions. There were these special dishes that were made for special use. And if you think about your life, if you think about the way most of us are wired, most of us have some inner desire to be special. Now, I know when you're young, usually this makes you think you have to be famous or highly influential or worldwide kind of known. As you age, you start to just think, no, I wanna make a special difference in this world. But inside of all of us, I think it's put there by God. There's this desire, there's these dreams that your life would be used for a special purpose. And if we think about what sets people up to be special versus common or uncommon versus common, I think for most of us, we assume it's the people with the best giftings, 
the people that have the highest IQs. Maybe they combine all of that with incredible work ethic and then they know the right people and they get it there at the right place at the right time. And we're gonna continue reading this letter that we started with, 2 Timothy, and it's a letter from the Apostle Paul to a young man he was mentoring named Timothy who was doing a great work and wanted to do a great work in his life. And the way Paul frames this conversation is so completely different than how most of us even think about it or approach it. I think that's why it has power because it's so counterintuitive. And yet this is the thing that I think sets people up to become special or used for a good work that is special, that is uncommon. And this is how Paul phrases it. This is how he frames it. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions and the cheap ones are for everyday use. Here we go. Here's what sets someone apart. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. The one thing that Paul says is actually a catalyst for you being ready for the good works that God has for you, for you to be special, is purity. And I know we think about this a lot. We think like, what's God's will for my life? That's a question I've asked so many times. Can I tell you what Paul would say in 1 Thessalonians 4? God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from sexual sin. Nobody like amen that. I'm so shocked. No, I, you know, it's, no, I get this. I, I totally understand this. You know, we don't like light up about these messages. This is not the one you probably share all over. (laughs) But maybe Paul was onto something. That God's will for our life is for us to be holy. And I want to define what I mean when I use the term purity. I'm sure there's better definitions or more comprehensive definitions. But for today, so we can track, here's simply put how we're going to explain purity. Purity is a clean life built on obedience to God's commands when it comes to sex and sexuality. It's a clean life built on God's commands when it comes to sex and sexuality. God's definition of sex and sexuality, in my mind, is the preeminent definition considering he's the one that created it. He created it to be good. And yet it is maybe the most lost definition in the culture we live in. Uh, Simply put, the way that God would define healthy sex and sexuality is within the marriage bed between a man and a woman. That's the way he defines it. And I recognize, I was thinking about this message this week and I was just out and about and I was just thinking, this has such a danger of being such an irrelevant message if people just file this away under a bunch of archaic, ancient but irrelevant commands, by a God that really doesn't understand what we're going through today. And yet maybe because this is so outside the lens of what's normal, maybe that's exactly why we need to hear it. Because I want you to just take a moment and think about what normal actually looks like right now. See, for us, we've come to assume that dysfunction is normal, that brokenness in relationships and that it's so difficult, it's so hard, that it's so hard to find things that work. And is it possible it's because we've come to accept the wrong definition of normal? You know, I think about this as someone who works with young people, you have to understand that this generation is being raised and taught and shaped on how they think about sex and sexuality based on pornography. 
That is their teacher for how to approach sex and sexuality. I think about people who have had 25-year careers come crashing and burning in 24 hours because of the things that were going on in their life. Their purity wasn't there. I think about the families that have been broken apart or maybe never formed in the first place and all of the confusion that it's leading us to, the lack of morality and leadership. I, I think of even about the confusion of like, where do we actually draw the line because there's no moral standard. It's do what makes you feel good with who makes you feel good, when it makes you feel good. But when does that actually have a limit? When does that have a battery? We have a hard time knowing that. And so because of that, a lot of people are getting hurt. A lot of people are getting abused. A lot of people are on the wrong end of this equation. Even as the church, even as Christians, think about the shows that we get so desensitized to. The things that show up on that screen in our living room or on our phone, and, and we kind of just assume this is just the way it is, but this is the very diet of our family is what's going on on Netflix. And, and so we just kind of become desensitized to the hypersexualized. It's kind of the air we breathe, and we just kind of assume this is just the air we breathe. And whether you're single or married or whether you're male or female, this is something that all of us have have to navigate. And today, I want to frame this conversation. I told you I was excited about this message. You might not be excited right now. I told you I'm excited, and here's why. Because when I look at what Paul is saying, there's this question that starts to form inside of me that becomes, uh, it, it, it uh, turns into something that inspires me. And here's this question. What if your purity is connected to your purpose? What if the hinge on the doors that can shut the door to your dreams or open the door to your destiny is not your ability and performance and the ability to work hard? What if it is your purity? It excites me to think what is possible, what the church is capable of if we get back to God's standard for purity. And so I wanna welcome you to the purity test. This is the test that Joseph had to face. And it's a test that all of us have to face at some level. Parents, this is a test that you're gonna to have to help teach and train your young people to navigate. And I just wanna to admit to you and share with you and be as transparent as I can that this is a battle that I have had to fight throughout my life. Sexual integrity and walking in purity has been a difficult thing, something that I had to really, I had to win this battle. And I'm thankful today to say that I stand here and preach on this from a different place than I was 10 years ago, but I'm telling you, I always have to be on my guard because I recognize that this is an area that is constantly coming at us. And so I wanna look at this story of Joseph as we go through the purity test. And here's what it says in Genesis chapter 39, verse six. It says, Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. I think it's important that you know that you don't have to go seek out this test. It's gonna to come to you. And actually, it might not just come to you, it might demand something of you. It might demand that you give way or give in. We know this, we don't have to search this out. It's coming to us. And so the question that we have to be able to answer is, will I make the same decision that Joseph had to make or will I allow pleasure to overcome purpose? And so let's look at Joseph's decision because remember, if you remember last week, Joseph just got sold into slavery by his own family. You thought your family was dysfunctional and <laughs> not quite at that level, right? And Joseph didn't get bitter. He chose God's better. And I love how he does it. Look, he says, 
Look, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. I just want to air five Joseph right now. Joseph, you're watching, maybe you're probably not watching this in heaven. You're probably doing something way more fun and cool. But I will say, someday we'll we'll high five. He won, man. He, He passed the test. And I found this final phrase in that verse. You can keep it up for just a moment. I found it very interesting where it says, it would be a great sin against God. I was reading my Bible a few weeks ago and I came across this passage in Psalm chapter 51 where David is writing this Psalm to God. And in this Psalm, it says something pretty particular. Look at Psalm 51 verse four. It says, against you and you alone, God, have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. Now, this doesn't feel revolutionary to anybody who's at all familiar with God's existence and Christianity, that the idea that we would repent to God for things we've done wrong. This doesn't feel crazy. What felt crazy, and actually, I'm just gonna be honest, what felt confusing to me is that David says, against you and you alone. And the reason that felt confusing is when you read the description at the beginning of the psalm, it says, this is the time when David found out that he did wrong by committing adultery with Bathsheba and then killing her husband to cover it up. So I'm reading this going, against you and you alone, God, have I sinned. What about the woman you pressured into committing adultery with you? What about the guy that you killed to cover it up? Did they get any credit for being sinned against in this equation, right? And this is why I'm so thankful for the word of God. The moment the word of God stops confounding you is the moment you've conformed it into your image. The Bible needs to stretch us. It needs to challenge us. It needs to make us think differently. If it doesn't, it means either one, you've just totally disregarded it, which is a choice. Or two, every time you read it, you're just shaping it into your own desires, into your own perspective, and it's not giving you any of the value that the truth can. We need the word of God to confound us and at times maybe even confuse us because that's where the growth happens. And so as I was reading this, I realized, you know what? David, he wasn't denying that he sinned against someone else or sinned against Bathsheba's husband. Paul says that when we sin sexually, we even sin against our own body. David wasn't denying any of that. What David was actually saying is that anytime we sin against someone else, the ultimate person that we sin against is God. And it reminded me of this text that I received from one of our former students who uh, graduated and we've maintained a friendship throughout the years. And he texted me asking an opinion on a tattoo he wanted to get. And I thought this was funny because I've never had a tattoo in my life. I'm the type of guy that I really am, not nervous, but I'm concerned that I'm gonna do something I'll regret, you know, when it comes to tattoos. And um, I think about, you know, just the different mistakes I've made in my life because I was so convinced I was onto a good idea. And then like five days later, I'm like, oh, that was really good at me. So I, I might get one someday, but I just thought it was funny that he was asking me. But he, he sent me this picture and they're gonna put it up there. It's this Coram Deo picture. It's like a, a picture of this phrase, Coram Deo. And he said, do you know anything about this? And so I, uh, I said to him what any well-studied man of God would say, preacher of the word. He said, no, I have no clue. <laughs> but I said, I do have Google. So I Googled it. And I found out that Coram Deo is this Latin phrase where it has this meaning of life lived before God. That everything we do is done in the presence of God. 
that our lives, our existence, our choices, it is all with God's presence amongst us to glorify him. And I started thinking about how this applied to sexuality, to sex, because I started to think there's definitely a, a restraining side to like, if I know God's in the room, it might change how I do things, right? And so, yes, there's that kind of negative side of like protecting you from doing bad things, but I also started to think about it in terms of, well, what if it's not just about the things we don't do? What if it's about the things we do that God has created us to do? Someday we're gonna stand before God and he's going to look at our lives and say, I had all of these amazing good works for you to do. In fact, the word of God says that God actually has good works designed for us before the foundations of the earth, that there were things that you were designed to do, good works, special works that God created you to do. And someday, maybe what you'll regret most is not just what you did wrong, but the things that you never got to do because you never followed through with what God had for you. And I started to think about that through the lens of purity because if purity is the hinge on the door to our destiny, then how many of us will get to heaven and think, man, I should have done so much more, but the thing that held me back was my inability to be a clean vessel that God could use for the good works. What if your purity is connected to your purpose? And as I was thinking about this, I, I would wonder, many of you might even feel inspired or you might think, yeah, yeah, this is something that I could actually get behind. Or maybe this is just a rock in your shoe. It's just uncomfortable and you, know, you can't wait to get out of here. And I respect both of those feelings. But maybe the harder conversation for us to have is not the what, but it's the how. Because your brain is facing temptation on a level that it was never designed to face. We live in a day and an age where, like we said, it is hyper-sexualized, and it is so difficult. How many of us, we know better than we do? We all know better than we do in every area of our life, and a lot of that comes down to habit formation. A lot of that comes down to our daily decisions, and I just want you to know this will have to be a daily decision. Look what happened in, Genesis, in uh, the continuation of Joseph's story. It said, she kept putting pressure on him day after day. But day after day, he refused to sleep with her and he kept out of her way as much as possible. I just want you to know, it would be so nice if this was just a one-time test and then you moved on to the next one. But most likely, this is a test that you will have to win consistently, that your kids will have to win consistently. And I hope that someday the season you're in, it, the temptation is not as strong. You will always have to be on guard. But there are moments where everybody's gonna go through the thick of temptation in this area. And it's gonna be consistent. You're gonna have to be able to win consistently. And so as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, okay, how can we put this into practice? And I think Paul actually lays out some really cool ways I wanna show you. But it starts with reading the verse we already read in this new light. In verse 21, it says, your life will be clean and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. And here's what you have to understand. Your life has to have the why of every good work that God can use you for. If you don't know your why, then you will lose all restraint and discipline in your life. In fact, the word of God says simply that where there is no vision, people cast off restraint. So many of us, we focus on building restraints 
And that's our main emphasis when we're trying to make change. We think, okay, I'm just not going to do this. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to go here. And that's okay. We're going to talk about that. But maybe what we need more than we need restraints is we need vision. We need vision for our life. We need vision for the type of father or the type of mother we want to be. We need vision for our kids. We need to help them see here we go, coaches and mentors and teachers. What if you didn't just help them see all the restraints? What if you helped them get a vision for who God created them to be? Help them get a vision for the good works. I can discipline myself if I have vision and a dream of where God's taking me. It's only gonna feel like repression if I restrain and I have no vision of where I'm going. Some of us focus on restraints. We need to help focus on vision. Who are you called to be? Who has God created you to be? Who did he create your family to be? What kind of family are you going to be? Those are the types of visions that you have when you say, okay, I want to be the type of father. I'll just tell you for my life, I want to be the type of father that the people that know me the best respect me the most. That's the type of vision I have for my life. And that changes. I'll discipline myself to get there. What vision? What's your why? Because I've discovered long ago, we overcome our lusts better when we love something better. The best way to overcome your lust is not just to say no to your lust. The best way to overcome your lust is to love something so powerfully, so magnetically, so purely that it causes you to crowd out every other thing that's a no in your life. The no becomes easy because of what you've said yes to. And so who are the people that would benefit from your purity? Who are the people that generations from now will be living in blessing because of what you're doing right now? And so as we go into the how, I want to maybe surround you with the why. What's your why? Who is this for? What would it do for you as a father or a mother or a teacher or a coach or a friend? I love what he goes on to say. We're going to read kind of the whole encouragement from Paul here in verse 21 and 22. It says, if you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Here we go. He says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. And there's so much in here. I wish I had time to just unpack this like moment by moment of what Paul is saying, principle by principle. I just don't think we have time to jump into all of it. But I will say this. You're going to notice what Paul is doing. He's creating a, a system or a way to approach this that includes a couple of different key aspects. Many of us, when we try and make changes in our life, we depend on one of two very opposite things. And oftentimes it leads us to not being able to make the change we want to make. The first thing that many of us lean on is willpower. I want to make a change, so I'm just going to make the good choice, no matter where I am. I'm going to choose the salad over anything good. I, I'm just going <laughs> to... We rely on willpower. And of course, this is good. You need willpower in your life, but has anybody noticed that at times your willpower is better at 8.30 in the morning than it is at 3.30 in the afternoon? You have all the abilities, like, don't it get behind me, Satan, you know? But then at 3.30, someone cussed you out at work, and, and you're feeling the stress of everything that's going on in your life, and so your willpower isn't feeling as good in that moment. So some people rely fully on willpower. Some people rely solely on totally controlling their environment. 
They say, I'm never gonna expose myself to anything. There's never gonna be any chance. I'm gonna, I'm gonna blind my eyes so I never see anything terrible. And of course, this kind of reminds me of like the bubble boys and bubble girls that are like raised in this bubble. And actually what's good about this is that as long as they're in the bubble, they'll be fine. But I went to private Christian school and I saw what happened when those people graduated and they never made any choices in their life. And then they got to college and it was like, they just went nuts. Because if you can only control environment, but you never teach someone good judgment and decision-making and how to build something of themselves, then the moment they get out of the environment, all is lost. And so I've noticed some people rely solely on willpower. Some people rely solely on environment. Smart people shape or strengthen their willpower while they shape their environment. See, smart people are the people that say, I need to grow my ability to say yes to the right thing and no to the wrong thing. It's not that we negate that. Self-control is a fruit of the spirit. It is something you can grow in. But it's also something where Paul says, run, Run from youthful lusts. Don't even, don't, even, don't even entertain them. You shape your environment. And this is something that we see over and over. Let's read again what Paul said in that verse. He says, look, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust, right? This is shaping your environment. If there are things in your environment that are causing you to stimulate lust, you need to run from them. You need to get out of there. That might be a relationship. That might be a certain program. That might be something on your phone. You need to run. But then he also says, also in, instead pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love and peace, enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. So it's not just what you're getting away from, it's what you're moving toward. Build the willpower, build a, a strength to be able to choose righteousness and love and faithfulness. And in my journey, this is exactly what happened. And I can only speak for me, but I, I know for me, this was how that I was able to gain victory is that it took both. It took me being incredibly vigilant about the types of environments that I was shaping. Because I think about this, you know, as someone who's trying to eat healthy and all of those types of things, I'm, my weakness is cereal. I don't know if anybody else is in here like me. I, if I had to choose cereal, it would be like my weakness. And um, I know they market it as healthy, but I just want to burst some bubbles today. <laughs> uh, Lucky Charms is not going to like be on the food pyramid in any good way, Okay. And, but the truth is, I'm a decently disciplined person, but you put me in a house with some good cereal, and I could hold off for a day, but you throw me there for three days or five days, I'm gonna struggle. And so what I've discovered is I have to use my discipline and my willpower, my strength, I have to use it at the grocery store before I ever get to the house. Because then I don't have the ability to choose it when I get to the house. And in the same way, we have to learn how to make the best choice the easiest choice and make the wrong choice the hardest choice. That takes discipline. That takes work on the front end. That takes preparation. But then you're not relying solely on that willpower. You're shaping your environment to make a good choice. It should be ridiculously hard for you to screw up your life in this area of purity and sexuality because you put the right people and the right things in your life. I even think about it, how it talks about instead pursue righteousness and faithfulness and love. You know, when Jesus was, when he was tempted, which by the way, Jesus was tempted, he was actually tempted. Temptation is not just something he heard. It had to actually be tempting for him to do it in order for it to be temptation. So when Jesus was tempted with something that he actually could have seen himself doing, you know what Jesus did? He didn't rely on willpower. He relied on word power. He had 
put such a practice in a daily discipline of his, into his life of soaking in the word of God. He had such a deep well of reservoir that when the enemy came to him telling him all of these things, whether it be pride or lust of the flesh or all of those things, what Jesus responded with was the truth of the word of God. So he intentionally put practices in his life that would help him have stronger willpower. And I also started to think about, man, when, when we do this, we watch God work in powerful ways. So I had to do this in my own life. When I was a young man, I, I started memorizing Ephesians 5. Not just like a verse. I started memorizing like the whole thing. And then it turned into Ephesians 6 and Philippians 1. And I was like, because it talks about how to live a pure life as a Christian. And so what I started to do is when I felt temptation, I immediately knew to reroute my brain's choices. Okay, I feel temptation. Let me reroute it right here the scripture. And I started, I started speaking it out time after time. And I'd start with Ephesians 5.1. And then I moved to Ephesians 5, 2, and I'd, I'd start to just allow it to stir my soul into such a, I felt like I was beating up the devil at the end of it. Like by the time I got to like verse 20, I was like, oh, you, you picked the wrong dude to fight with today, right? But that was part of it. I also had people, right? He says, choose companions that will help you build life in you. We sometimes think of accountability as only negative, like, oh, people who take account of my disability. No, no, no. Accountability is people who take account of your ability and see enough in you to call you to higher standards. And I had people in my life, one of whom was my boss and one of whom was my dad. And I had these people who I would say, if I ever felt temptation, I would tell them before anything ever happened, I'd just say, hey, I'm feeling tempted. And they were people I had in my life because I realized the power of companionship in pursuing purity. Guys, I wish I could like get up here and give you the whole list. I thought about doing it. I just don't have time. But I will say this. Maybe you're, you're struggling with this and, and you think, man, this dude is so intense like about this kind of archaic way to, to do this stuff, to think about things. And I just wanna say, I may not even be as intense right now as Jesus is. <laughs> because I know we all love the teachings on Jesus of love, but we never consider the moments where Jesus' teachings of love actually tell us what we need to hate. And it's never people, but it is sin. This is what... Jesus said, this is not me, okay? So, hi, I'm Ryan, I'm your friend. This is Jesus, okay? <laughs> you have heard the commandment that says, you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body be thrown into hell. Jesus is not asking you to get out the machete, but he is asking you to get out the spiritual machete. Some of us, we need to take this seriously because our destiny is dependent on us winning this test. Joseph never gets to the palace if he doesn't win the purity test in Potiphar's house. He never gets there. If by some chance he does get there, he screws up his life and everybody else's. This is a test that you are born to win because God has created you for good works to do. And I just wanna say this. Some of you maybe throughout this message have just been feeling guilt and all you're thinking about is all the things you've done wrong maybe today, yesterday, or in all of your history. And I just want you to know that through the blood of Jesus, whenever we come into Jesus Christ and his blood washes away all of our sins, God doesn't even look at your past, so you shouldn't either. What he looks at is what are you gonna do in your present to shape your future? What are you gonna do moving forward? So yes, no perfect people allowed, 
But by the love of God, we say, yeah, but go up to that next level. Keep moving because God has a destiny for you. And so maybe it's time to install some of those hinges that can help you open the door to your destiny through purity. Let's pray. God, this is a day that I believe will be a catalyst for many people to fulfill the good works you have for them. There are people that will do things that we never even thought possible because they win this struggle right here. And I just bless them with your grace, your power, and your spirit to help them get a vision for who you've created them to be and to help them have the power to overcome every struggle that they face. I pray for teachers and mentors and parents who are helping instill this in someone else. I'm praying give them wisdom and how they can strengthen willpower while shaping environment. As you keep your eyes closed for just a moment, I do wanna give you an invitation to know Jesus. The reason we are followers of Jesus, the reason we obey what he commands is because we believe, first of all, that he's God. We believe he was resurrected from the dead, which changes everything. A good teacher is only a good teacher until they're resurrected from the dead. Then they're a God teacher. And Jesus, we follow his commands, not just because they're the right thing to do. And we love that. I mean, following Jesus is just saying yes before you even know what he asks you to do. But we also recognize that while we say yes, that God commands things, not because he wants to punish or repress, but God commands things because he wants us to flourish and have life. And so really what it comes down to is, will you trust God with your life? Will you give him control? Will you make him Lord of your life? Will you become a follower, a disciple of Jesus? It will mean things have to change for you. It does. I, I can't help but say that. It will mean that. But it also means that when those things change, when those old parts of you die, that there is new life that is raised to life in you, that you are resurrected with Christ. And so today, I wanna give you an invitation to be brought into the family of God, into the kingdom of God, to be reborn, remade, with good works for you to do, with a purpose for you to live. I wanna encourage you to pray this prayer all across this room, but if you're one of those people that says, I need to be made right with God, I need him to forgive my sins, make me a new person, give me a new purpose, then right now I want you to pray this prayer and know that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Church, would you help me pray? No matter where you're watching from, online, TCI, Boardman, here in Warren, help me pray so that no one prays alone. Say this, say, Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I repent for my old lies and I follow you now. Jesus, you are Lord of my life. I believe you're God. You died for my sins and you rose to life again so I could be raised with you. I trust you forever. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. 
the best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren, and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast.